0: If you're still catching up, or you don't, what we're doing is we're going through uh, the Beatitudes, which is a very complicated name. So when Jesus uh, was on the Mount, uh, I always think of this when I, I went to Israel. Jesus gave a Sermon on the Mount. It's 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 uh, basically a set of undulating hills overlooking Galilee, and uh, that's where he fed the five thousand. And everywhere you go in Israel, when you, uh, when you go to these places that commemorate what Jesus does, they, they have all kinds of memorials there. They're usually Catholic churches. And on the, the, the mount where Jesus gave the sermon, the Beatitudes, uh, he also fed the 5,000. And so they have a round church there commemorating this, the feeding of the 5,000. And when I went there, right outside the church, there was a notice that said, uh, No food allowed. Which seemed weird, but it kind of sums up things. Jesus actually, uh, you know, comes to set us free, and then we sort of stitch it all up, and then make it into a ritual and religion, and uh, it's strange. We're talking the Beatitudes are the blessed are. You know, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, we talked about those who realize that their life has no substance without God. So like John the Baptist, they go, he must increase, I must decrease. I've I've got this up here as a a sort of visual of this is who we are without God. This is who we are before God takes hold of us. This is who we are um, after the fall, if you will. We're so disfigured, we're so far away from who God has us to be. And this is who he wants us to become. This is who he created us to become. We talk a lot in this church about identity. And we say that we can, be a, we can be an identity like this, which is from our history. It says, this is what I am. This is who my parents were. This is the circumstances. And I am restricted by my history. And I'm restricted by my circumstances. And I'm respect, restricted by my small size Coke. And it's not fair. And we live from a place of looking at our past, to looking at our present, and we restrict ourselves. And God looks at us and says, this is who I created you to be. And when we come to Jesus, he, he in a sense transforms this in a, in a vision into this and said, this is who I see here. This thing cannot see itself. There is no way it can actually comprehend that this could be part of this. And God, like Michelangelo, basically says, what I'm going to do for the rest of your life is take away all the parts around you that hide this. But when I come and I say to you, you are my son and daughter, I want this to begin to declare, I am a son of the living God. Because I wanted to see this and not this. Does this make sense to you? Who are you? When, when, you see, when Jesus came and when Jesus called his disciples and when he poured out his spirit and he says, you are no longer sinners, you are saints, this is what he's saying. This is a sinner, this is a saint. That doesn't mean that you don't have issues and you don't have stuff to do. Of course you do. But when a sinner places his or her life in the hands of God, you become a saint. But the problem is that we spend a lot of our time trying to do it ourselves. The one thing you know is, one thing you're absolutely clear, we're all absolutely clear about, I hope, is that this block cannot carve itself. This block can pray, it can do everything it can, but it cannot take one little piece of wood off itself. Many people live like, uh, well, I'm just a humble block. And when I get to heaven, this is what will happen. And a precious moment will be carved on it and it will be sweet. The sweet by and by. I hate that stuff. I'm in a passionate mood of hating things this morning. (laughs) Just, just... May, I think Donald Trump. No, don't. No, no. You know, you think what Donald Trump says is bad. You know what happened to me yesterday? I'm in the. I'm in Thrifties. I'm naming the store because I think it's just outrageous what happened. And I, 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 I bought one little bag of groceries because Cheryl doesn't go out when it rains or when the sun shines. That you know, I have to do all the work. <laughs> it's not just a little Coke bottle. It's just you know. Everything, upgrade my husband, you know for, it's just anyway, it 's going a little far. <laughs> um, and i 'm standing there in line, i 've got paper towels I'm not meaning toilet roll, I'm meaning paper towels, a bag of them, and this little bag, and the guy packs it up, I pay for it, and he says, "Do you want help with that to the car?" <laughs> and I said, "Excuse me I'm old. i 'm not that old. I declared. I'm not that old. Uh, So I'm not going back to thrifties again. I'm done with thrifties. (laughs) Hate thrifties. (laughs) I'm joking. Anyway, this whole thing of the blessed is important. You see, what we do all the time is we read the Bible and then we put our hands in our pockets and say it sounds sweet. And I don't know about you, but I am so sick of that. I've always been sick of that. I've always been sick of it sounds sweet. Or it sounds like smarten up. And one day you will be good enough. Anybody struggling? One day you'll be good enough. You see, the problem is, and the part that we don't want to hear, is we want to be passively saying, oh, Jesus, I just want you. But on Monday, he says, you prayed that, now do something. What do you mean me do something? I gave a promise to Joshua a long time ago that was a principle for the taking of the promised land. I said, every step you take, I will give it to you. You have to take a step. That's why I say, come to Alpha. Oh, I don't feel like it. I've been, well then, go to. There's there's an element of we have to learn, that we have to do things, and you know what? You have to do them every week. I'm so tired of us. I don't know where this this is. This is godly righteousness, I'm sure. But uh, we're talking about righteousness. But I'm just saying, we start. How many, we start and we go for a week and then we fade out. And then we wonder why nothing changes in our life. And we keep on coming up for prayer. And you go, it doesn't work like that. I'm going to tell you how it works this morning, if you haven't heard already. To get from here to here, you have to place this in hands that can do this. That's what it is. You cannot do anything. You cannot become righteous yourself, which is what we're talking about this morning. You cannot become meek. How do you become meek? Meekness is about like, it's like a pencil. I haven't got one here. You put it in the hands of an artist and the pencil does amazing things. And you go, what an amazing pencil. And the pencil says, check the artist out, man. I'm just the lead. I felt lead. And he did it. Look what he did. That's what meekness is. That's what poor in spirit is about. It's all about yielding. See, the problem with us is we're really quite stubborn and proud. And because we're also really polite, it doesn't look like that. It just looks like, I don't know what it looks like. We're stubborn and proud. And when Jesus said, you know, leave everything and follow me, he meant it. And he carried on walking. And so the principles of God is relational. He's highly relational. And so we, we say, I love the fact that God is relational. He says to me, I love you and you're my son. But he also says, follow me. You see, all the things of the Beatitudes, the meek and the, uh, be, be whatever it says. Those who mourn. Those who mourn. What are mourn? those who mourn? We talked about those who mourn are those who look at, I don't want to actually, I mean, and, and this is a serious statement, I don't want to trash the Americans because I think what they are going through right now is really a testimony to most of the world. I mean, we're so fickle. Most of people think like uh, Donald Trump. They just don't say it. And ma- many people just, just sort of uh, live selfish lives. And in fact, what you're seeing in the American election right now, it's sad. But it's people trying to work life out without God, and it's actually a picture of unrighteousness, because righteousness we're going to talk about hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is about being aligned with who God is and being becoming what He desires us to be, and not seeing that as slavery, but seeing that as freedom. If you're like me, so many of these words kind of feel so heavy, like, you know, "Be righteous," which means "be good and you go oh i try and it doesn't change and so this relational thing is important it's about putting your hands your your life in the hands of somebody who can do what you can't do and he says so so what i was going to say was when you look at the american election you look at donald trump in in the most you can't believe what comes out of his mouth and you can't believe I, can, I worked with entrepreneurs who were sort of microcosms of, of, of tr- Trump and I couldn't believe the self-centeredness of people and the way they trash other people. And we called it in consulting, we called it the binocular trick where you minimize everybody else's value and you maximize your own. And just the way they just dissociate from people and, tra- and just use people but elevate themselves all the time. It's what happens to human nature when it's cut off from God. Human nature cut off from God is unattractive. And you know the thing that causes us to rise up and say this is wrong is the Spirit of God in us, whether we know God or not. I keep saying this. There is something in the human DNA that reflects God, whether we know it or not, that says this is wrong. But we are in this lost state in our cultures where we, we object because Trump speaks about women and objectifies women, yet we allow pornography. And then we go, why would people do this kind of thing and say this kind of thing, but we say our freedom means we allow this. I was thinking about how do you look at righteousness? And I thought, what would it be like in Port Alberni to, to parade in Port Alberni uh, the, the, the fruit of unrighteousness? And this is not judgment. I want all the people who are um, addicted to go down to the Harbor Quay and I want all the people who are struggling with pornography to go down to the Harbour Key. And I want p- all people whose marriages are broken to go down to the Harbour Key. And I want p- all people who are struggling with alcohol and drug abuse and all those who are actually selling drugs to go down to the Harbour Key. And the reason I want you all to go down the Harbour Key is because most of us are going to be there. And you go, you're not going to hunger and thirst for righteousness until you've got a clue as to what unrighteousness looks like and you start getting disenchanted with it. Both in yourself and everybody else. And it's not about judgment. I think the Lord gave me this picture, you know, it's been raining and blowing a lot and stuff and it's all coming from the outside and there are lots of people who are looking for happiness. How many of us are looking for happiness in our circumstances? Are we still looking for happiness and something happened this week and now you're miserable because that thing happened? How many of us are like that? Don't, you don't need to put your hand up. Like You're like this every week. Something happens and you fall apart. Somebody looks at you the wrong way, you fall apart. You, you don't get what you want this morning and you fall apart. A a, a tree falls on your house and you fall apart. Seriously. Your house falls apart. But what I'm trying to say is we have to start trying to comprehend that everything about God and His kingdom does not come from the outside. And everything in the American election is about the outside. It's about how you can be happy, how you can have power, how you shouldn't have done this. How you, it's all from the outside. You get Michelle Obama standing up and you can feel the breath of fresh air speaking about the needs of children and how offensive it is. But it comes from a place you can feel it. Oh, that's different. And I say, Lord, what, is, what are you talking about with all this? And, and it seemed to me like he reminded me of when the woman at the well came to she was trying to carrying that that jar and she needed to get water it's the middle of the day because she was ashamed of her reputation she was the sixth wife of Donald Trump and so she was just like done you know she didn't want to be seen and Jesus talks to her because he doesn't reject anyone even Donald and me and and he speaks to her and he says if you knew who you were speaking to I would give you streams of living. I will give you water. You would never have to come here to eat a drink again. He said to the, the people who were looking for bread, and he said, I, I am the bread of life. I will give you sustenance that you will never have to feed again. And what is he saying? I think he's saying something really simple. He's saying, until you realize that my spirit is what refreshes you and gives you sustenance from the inside, you will never be at peace. There is a supernatural thing that God gives by His Spirit that starts on the inside of us and bubbles up outside. The coming of the kingdom is about the people who are bubbling up inside, impacting the outside. You are a little artesian well if Jesus lives in you. The trouble is, and I think God gave me this picture of many of us like dry, dry uh, riverbeds. And we go, God, I want it. And we go and we look for it outside. And he says, if you just unplug what's stopping it on the inside, it will flow again. You cannot get what God has to give from the outside. See, I think that we should never, ever have to go on a holiday to be refreshed. I think we should live in a place of refreshment. We should live in a place of peace. We should live in a place of victory. We should live in a place of overcoming. We should. Let me play this video. It's interesting how often people go to the third world to get a glimpse into what I'm talking about. This is not about judging, this is about calling up in us what God has already released. Just a little snapshot of somebody in Sierra Leone amidst people who have very little and yet time and time again the testimony of people who go into these places is I can't get over the joy. I can't get over the sense of excitement and contentment, the appreciation for little things. And what is it like for us, you know, for Jesus to say you know, what is it, what are you hungering and thirsting for? Because hunger and thirst is a powerful phrase particularly in a desert country like Israel. What do you hunger and thirst for? the thing about hunger and thirst is that you you know you can get the bread and you can get the, the the drink and then 24 hours later you're hungering and thirsting again like it's a continual thing it's a lifestyle and hunger and thirst is a basic need and so there're two ways to hunger and thirst the hunger and thirst in a a natural world, is I just want more money, I want more success, or I want more influence, I want more friends, I want more this, I want that, I want this, I want that. It never stops, does it? How many of us can look back and say, I I, I said, I just want this, and we got it, and we we, we found ourselves saying, well, uh, is that it? Because there's nothing in this world, this natural world, and I don't like speaking about it, I I don't know, this worldly, I don't like that kind of phrase. But there's nothing in this world that will satisfy. It will always be the need for someone more, something more. I watched actually, CNN had a really good documentary on Donald Trump and on Hillary Clinton last night. Some of you might have seen it. And one of the things they said was, you know, Trump had got more and more power and more and more influence and eventually he looks around and you could almost caricature him and say, what else can I conquer? Let me be the president. There's an insatiable, broken need for more that is now being evidenced in a very sad way. A very broken man who doesn't even know he's broken. It's actually nothing to laugh about. It's very sad. But that's just in a mag- magnified form, many of us. What are you hungering and thirsting for? Because we only hunger and You don't hunger and thirst... I wouldn't hunger and thirst for broccoli or for coconut. Chocolate maybe, but not that. What do you hunger and thirst for? You don't hunger and thirst for things you don't like. You hunger and thirst for things that you do like. And what happens is that we take something like hunger and thirst for righteousness... For righteousness and we go, that sounds so boring. Until, you see, God said, taste and see. And so the object of all of these beatitudes actually is Jesus. If you hang around with Jesus, you will be righteous. You will be meek. You will mourn for the, for the broken and the poor. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in you will manifest like that. That's why it's called fruit. And when Jesus is in you, one of the reasons sometimes, I mean, some of you who, who who follow Jesus, have you found that if you obviously sin, it's a little more difficult, you get a conscience? That's Jesus with you. Jesus with you saying, Satan with you says, oh, you miserable jerk, you'll never actually amount to anything, why don't you give up now? Jesus in you says, that wasn't so good. Or you, you, he, he, he convicts you in order to forgive you. Satan accuses you in order to condemn you. And hungering and thirsting over righteousness, is the big part of recognizing that you're moving along in that is that you begin to find yourself dissatisfied with the stuff that you mess up with. You start getting a conscience. You start going, ah, oh, I did that again. And the, the trick to learn is how to be forgiven quickly and then to say, Jesus, thank you that you're pouring this into me now. And so you step towards the thing that's going to replace the negative. Don't focus on the negative, focus on the positive. Does that make sense to you? It's really a discipline. It's not giving yourself license. It's just saying that's part of the carving. Now the reason why we harp on and I harp on you need to be part of community, you need to be serving, you need to be doing stuff is because that is how this thing gets carved. This thing does not get carved sitting on your own. On your own this just becomes spiritual blockhead. It, nothing changes in your character. Do we understand that? Nothing changes in your character if you isolate. You can know everything, you can carve the scriptures around you, but you'll still be a block of scripture. You won't be alive, alive, like this, becoming. And what people are longing to see is I wish I had a whole lot of these, you know, this just being ahead, and they go, I wonder what that's going to be. But starting to see the life. And so, righteousness is about being. Being in the hands of God so that He can produce who He is through you in the world. He needs lots of artesian worlds. That's what's called the light and the salt in the world. But you cannot do it yourself. But you what we are responsible for is placing ourselves in His hand day by day. And we are responsible for walking in community day by day. What happens when you walk in community? The community walks with you, Wes, absolutely. There are times when you don't have the strength and you get carried by others when we eventually humble ourselves to actually say we have a need. We get second opinions upon what we conclude about what we should be doing. Some of us really need to get over this thing of we're going to be controlled. You're not being controlled. It's not about control. It's about humility that says, what do you think? It's much easier. It's much more fun travel together because that's how this thing gets carved you want to be righteous walk with Jesus and what happens with you know I I took the reading from Paul just quickly in Romans where he says I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith that is community Paul is chained to a guard he is a prisoner and yet he says I long to come to you so that I can bring you something his artesian well is boiling over. You can chain me up, but you can't shut me up. How cool is that? You remember John, uh, no, who was it? Uh, David Wilkerson in, in, in the, the, the Cross and the Switchblade saying you can, to a gang leader when he opened the door and says, I'll knife you to pieces. And he says, you can knife me to pieces and every piece will shout, Jesus loves you to you. And so the guy said, oh shoot. I mean, he became a Christian doesn't always happen. Some people do get knifed up. But all I'm saying is there's a freedom that comes with say what you will. See, God is looking for people who will be servants and who will be available and who will be the antidote to the Donald Trump. How will Donald Trump ever know there's a God who loves until somebody actually goes up to him and speaks love to him? I, don't, I'm not trying, I really am not trying to hammer Donald Trump. I mean, I think there's lots of issues there, absolutely. But I know God loves him, as she, as he lo- as she loves Clinton. Um, you know, there is, God never sides with us in trashing other people. But we can still be discerning and say, that is wrong. And it's easier to trash somebody else than to actually say, well, be the well from which they can drink so that they can see something different. Let them see in your attitude and in your life a righteousness that causes them to say, you are so different. It's only Jesus in me, which is cool, but it's I know me, and it's not me, it's Jesus in me. And when One of the sicknesses in the Christian church is often people go around telling you what's in them because in case you don't see it. Don't do that. If I can't see it and you can't taste it, then it's not in me. And I need to say, why isn't it in me? And then I need to say, Lord, I want it to be in me. That's hungering and thirst for righteousness. You can't hunger and thirst for righteousness unless... You are self-aware about the unrighteousness. You can't, you can't long for something unless you've learned that this is not what I want to long for anymore. And you know, the cool thing is that God says, I know that. And so all I'm wanting to encourage us this morning is to bring out dissatisfaction to him and to say, Lord, I want to taste and see who you are. So I want all I can do is give you myself and say, will you create in me what I can't create in me? It's an absolute waste of time sitting in your corner, sucking your thumb, saying I'm a terrible person. I mean, you might as well just say, I'm a fallen person and I'm a work in progress. But I'm placing my life into Jesus' hands today and I'm placing my life into relationships in a community and I'm trusting him to be- to continue the work that he has already begun. That's it. You don't have to be righteous by your effort. You become righteous by the relationship you share with Jesus and with those around you. And so Paul goes to these people and he says to them, I want to share with you my spiritual gift, but I also need your spiritual gift because that makes us whole. And then he goes on, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Do you think people began to be convicted by what Paul said just by his words? It's very easy to take Paul's words out of his life and then start throwing them at everybody. But I think a lot of people were convicted by Paul's words because they came from a life that was suffering. They came from a life where a man who was highly educated had become a slave and had nothing and he still delivered. And they said this is compelling because the man's words are backed up by a life that I wouldn't be saying that. And that's what the world's hungry for. They want to see the lifestyles we live back up the words that we speak. And that only comes by not because we have to, but because we want to. We become driven by a different thing. Something different satisfies us. And you don't do that by condemning each other. You just say, Jesus, I just want to be somebody of passion. I want to be somebody who actually brings an answer into this broken world. I want to be somebody, what are you, salt and light? God never, He never changes things by doing political correction. He never changes things by just get the government out and get a Christian government in. We've been through that in history for centuries. He always starts with the leaven. He always starts with the seed. He always starts with the grain of salt. In other words, He says, the kingdom comes in the midst of. So your life counts Your life is part of God's answer to the world in which we live. As Heidi Baker says, pay attention to the one. Your life, the way you engage, the way you sacrifice, the way you give, the way you speak impacts. How quickly did HIV spread? It started in Africa and within, what, 15, 20 years, it's a huge epidemic. Well, why can't grace and life and love work like that as well? That all starts through contact, 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 contact. So you're the answer, with Jesus in you. And so Paul says this, he says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What does that mean as we close? The righteous will live by faith means I declare to you who Jesus is before you see anything. Faith is about declaring what you don't yet see. That's why we pray for healing. That's why we speak about who God is. God is good. Jesus, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you've revealed God to me. Everything in me doesn't feel that. But I believe in my depth of my being. You must be, but I want to know that. And so you start declaring that. One of the things why Alpha is important is because I'm convinced that most of us have brand new brains. Because they've hardly been used. We actually dish out the same responses day in and day out, day in and day out. If we get opportunity to change our mind. We're too lazy. And then we wonder why nothing ever changes. Allow God to inform your mind. Allow God to touch your heart. That means you've got to step into something and say, I'm, I'm hungry and say, at least I'm a little hungry. See what happens. God is standing here with huge amounts. There's a banquet right in front of us. There's a banquet for you with your name on it there's a- ta- a name at the table, and your name is there, and he says, "Eat as much as you can and you feel like you're starving." I remember for so many years feeling abandoned and bankrupt, and it was because i couldn't i'd lost touch with the goodness of God, and I was trying to find it in relationship and I was trying to find it in crap quite honestly, and I was angry, and so I spent years in that place and some of us are less dramatic, some of us are more slow-burning, but we're doing the same thing. Well, God can have Sunday morning and, he's, and that's it. Or you can have this, I, I'm giving you this little bit of money, or I'm doing this, I, I volunteer once a month at this. And we eke it out. Hungering and thirsting is about, Lord, there is nothing in life I want more than to be where you want me to be. And you're not a control freak. He just says, this is going to be the most fulfilling thing place for you. You can't hunger and thirst for what you don't think is worthwhile. So my encouragement is, as you build your relationship with Jesus, you end up going, there's nothing else that will satisfy like Jesus. If you want righteousness, follow Jesus. Let's stand. Let's ask God to create in us a hunger and thirst. You see, we can't manufacture it.